Bigger than cakes. Give me some outside. Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to it, and then I watched it. Hello and welcome to Bigger Than Capes. This is our August Indie Comics Roundup because it's the start of September, which means it's the end of August. Um, I'm Zach and I'm joined by Angela and Matt. How are you guys Hi, doing? Zach. Hi, Angela. Hello, Matt. Hello, Zach. Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm good. I've got a will-shaped hole in my heart, but like... We've, we've all got that. Will cannot be with us this week. For but, Zach, how are you doing? I I believe you've got some uh, big news. I do have some big news. You had a haircut. <laughs> Dream on. Um, I can't afford haircuts. I <laughs> I opened a comic book shop. Yay! And a very uh, nice comic book shop at that. I like yeah. to think so. It's uh, I, I hear you had uh, a very handsome uh, man come and help you put up shelves you mean josh <laughs> yeah 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 i i helped him i was the little troll man <laughs> um this is true so yeah we we've been open a few days now probably a week at this point um we're volume one comics and we are in hatch on oxford road in manchester yeah you can um, find us on Google or by going outside. Because <laughs> that is allowed at the moment. It is. Yeah, yeah. for now we're allowed outdoors. I don't know how long it's going to last. Don't want to jinx it, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep that quiet. Um, yeah, so um, have either of you read any good books since we last uh, on together? Well, I have started a project. Oh, God. Zach, I forgot Zach, about this. Zach knows about this. Oh, I, I so, don't. Zach read all of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I'm trying to read all of Prince Valiant starting in 1937. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Suddenly makes my, like, eight like, years of now, Turtles seems totally reasonable now. Normal. Now... That's God. That's gonna be weird. In part because Prince Valiant is sometimes like textless, and sometimes is like single panel. Yes, because uh, it's news. It's newspaper strips. Yes. So it started off as a full page in 1937. I'm halfway yes. through 1937. What I love about it is at the end of one adventure, it basically says, "And our hero only slayed seven people." Good yes, thing. I which like, is my favourite thing. <laughs> Prince Valiant is often gorgeous, though, as well. It the art is really, really good. There's some really yeah. lovely stuff in it. Did did this stem from you like accidentally buying some Prince Valiant in all of the Valiant searching <laughs> on eBay, or was this just no, a coincidence? It's well, it's kind of. I was looking for Valiant on eBay because it's a ho- everyone needs a hobby right yeah. and i did stumble across someone and it said prince valiant and i thought you know what it's been years since i've even looked into prince valiant 
and then I fell down a, an internet rabbit hole and I've come so, out with the first three volumes that have been reprinted by Fantagraphics. Yeah. Are they which, the big oversized? They're blooming massive. The yeah, box was so they're like, heavy. They're like newspaper size, aren't they? Like tab, not tabloid, they're broadsheet um, size, aren't they? Or are they uh, tabloid? Tabloid size. Right. Which is um, still pretty big. Pretty big. Um, more yeah. sort of graphic album sort of than uh than what we'd normally have but wow yeah it's yeah. um hal foster isn't it it is yeah yeah he did it for literal decades yeah when did prince valiant officially end it hasn't that's yeah, no, the it's thing still it's still lies. going it's the longest running unbroken comic newspaper strip in in history of the world yeah where where is it coming from now it's still it's still well, printed in newspapers it's yeah. syndicated it's still syndicated just, just strips just show up at the offices of the paper no one knows who's <laughs> no one, there's i can't remember who's doing it at the moment um because yeah a lot of the creative team over the years have now passed away for obvious reasons mm old age being the key one so yeah but i may never catch up with it but luckily because it's done in a newspaper it's now like a half page so there's not as much material yeah. now being produced so you know give me 50 years and i may get somewhere with this I'm check not... in with me in a year's time and we'll see whether i've got to the 1940s or not <laughs> <laughs> did you ever watch uh the legend of prince valiant of course I did. Yeah, because... You must know me by now, man. I was like, you... I was just thinking, you must have. Because I, have I the, did on CBC. I have CBC. the soundtrack, yes. I have the soundtrack. Um, it brings back many memories. Yeah, I watched it on CBBC, and I spent years trying to figure out what it was I'd watched. And because I was convinced... I was like, okay, it was like a night show, and it was a there was King Arthur stuff in there. And then I was eventually I was like, it must have been Prince Valiant. And yeah, it's yeah. Prince Valiant's cool in its own way. I have not done any sort of huge project like that, though, as I think I've said a couple of times uh, before on this podcast, I've started a Berserk reread uh, uh, yes. because I've finally gotten like gotten some money through to order the perfect editions like the lovely like leather bound three in ones that dark horse have been putting out for like the last two three years i just i never had the money or the space before now and i've got the money still don't have the space it's overrated as a concept yeah but i'll figure something out for that and i needed them to replace like my paperback ones that I've been slowly getting rid of when they started putting out the leather-bound ones. Um, and other than that, I reread Pantheon for the first time in years because I bought it from Zach because I don't own it anymore or didn't own it anymore. And yeah, it's still really, really funny and good. Like, there's so many gags I'd forgotten in there. I... I'm pretty sure I, as soon as I finished it, immediately texted Zach saying, like, Did you, do you remember that there's the weird, like, Mrs. Doubtfire joke in there that's really well drawn in a 
very odd way. Like, and I'm just, and he was like, "There is, isn't there?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's great." And I also, basically, a lot of what I've bought this last month and read has been stuff that, like, I I've either sort of read all of before and just either no longer own or never owned. And the other one, like the last one, was finally getting a copy of uh, Shigeru Mizuki's uh, Nononda, which, like, Shigeru Mizuki's one of my favourite, like, mangaka and comics creators in general. And at some point, I might just have to get someone to read some stuff he's done so that I can talk with them um, about him and how fucking incredible he is. Zach's trying to <laughs> Zach's trying to not attract any attention right now, so I don't um, draw him into this. I think um, this sounds like a will kind of problem. I definitely think it's a will kind of problem. I mean, he he did a lot of very good autobiographical books and like Angela, you like history, don't you? I, I do like <laughs> history. Yes. Um, he did uh, an entire series. Um, on the history of Japan over about an 80-year span, which is very good. It's it's called like a Showa, a history of Japan, and it co- covers the entirety of the Showa period, which is very very good. And also he did one about his service in World War Two in Guam, where he got his arm blown off and had to reteach himself to draw with his other arm it's he's very good and i love him so much he died like a year or two ago at like a billion years old <laughs> uh, yep so yeah that's that's been my time <laughs> <laughs> i started talking about shigeru mizuki and i find it very hard to stop when i do that see zach's had no time because he's opened a no. comic book shop so so welcome, Zach, what books welcome to you, our uh, September roundup. It's the end of September. Yeah. So, so Zach, what, what uh, books have you scanned into your system over the last month? Ah, uh, too many to count, mate. Uh, yeah. That's the closest uh, you get to reading them at the moment. So yeah. I'll have you know, I've read all of August's copy of Previews World. Oh. And that is a thick, thick book. Yeah, I think you would not recommend. I think you've probably done the most reading of any of us. Yeah. It's I, I've just read so many blurbs that I can't remember what the books are called. I just <laughs> recognise them based on trivia. Like, yeah. Um, um, I feel like I've read some stuff. I've read some singles. I finished reading Barbaric, like the first three issues. It's really good, right? It's really good, yeah. Um seems like only yesterday we were talking about issue one. <laughs> in, in, in a similar setting. But yeah, Barbaric's really good. Looking forward to the next arc next year. Um, Are you uh, up to date on six sidekicks? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Are we three issues in? Yeah. Very good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, issue three was good. Maybe better than issue two. It's yeah. been... It's good, and I think as the cast is expanded, it kind of gets more interesting and more diverse and more weird. Uh, but Six Sidekicks has been good, and uh, 
other stuff mostly what most of like website stuff i guess i've mm. been reading i i against my better judgment i once again have marvel <laughs> unlimited so i'm gonna make the effort to catch up on like runaways and immortal hulk and the stuff that and i finally convinced you to get on shonen jump as well talking of you signing up to subscription services this is true i'm not up to date on that either because uh, there's everything everything i was reading from viz i can't remember where i'm up to so i need to like figure that out especially now that it's it's in chapters on shonen jump rather than in volumes so that's i don't know how to i don't know how to figure that out matt it's gonna take me ages okay just Um, whenever you look at it just take a deep breath and just center yourself try and remain calm focus and and look at the numbers yeah (laughs) so many numbers they go in in order but yeah i'm all about just signing up to more and more subscription things at the moment apparently whilst having less and less time yeah i so if you have a subscription service with comics or manga yeah. and you yeah. need a and you need a patron who won't give who won't give you any bandwidth issues yeah um, zach's your man i am um, yeah i'm gonna read some stuff though this week i've got slightly more free time i think that's probably a lie but I'm going to try. So, on that bombshell, should we get to this week's comics that we're rounding up? Or this month's, yeah. Let's do this week. Yeah. Well, it is this week as well. True. Um, I will, two things. The first book we're going to talk about didn't actually come out in August, but we're idiots, and here we are. (laughs) Well, it got Uh, delayed, to be fair to us. It yeah. was will to be out, It will be out by the time that we release this. Yeah, yeah. And um, also, in my things that please me, is that we are actually doing four books from four different publishers, which is something I often say. Yeah, which is all, with different, all with different uh, authors, isn't that right? <laughs> sure could be. <laughs> um, so, Matt, I believe you're up first on the introduction in. Yes. Yeah. So, um... This month we have read Dead Box number one. It's a book by uh, Mark Russell uh, with art by Benjamin Tiesma, colours by Vladimir Popov, and letters by And World. Yeah, so Dead Box is set in the fictional, like, I, I think Deep South by all the Deep South or like some sort of weird midwest but but probably deep south people don't seem quite sort of aggressively friendly enough for it to be the midwest like town called uh, lost turkey it is a sort of very like evangelical kind of in the middle of nowhere like flyover town like they you know are very clear to note it doesn't even have like wi-fi or like much in terms of like much in terms of modern amenities and i were uh, we follow like through uh, this issue um like penny who works in like a convenience store sort of gas station 
situation that like works in like a, a convenience store that has the like the town's only sort of uh, movie rental service um, called the Dead Box that distribute that, that allows people yeah to come and rent like to come and rent DVDs and uh, films and the strange thing about it is is that the films don't seem to exist like they you know you you put them in and you play them and they're real but they don't seem to have any sort of existence outside of this box you can't find them anywhere else they have no online presence or anything and they seem to have some sort of some some sort of mystical correlation connection to the people that uh, that rent them or to like a situation that's going on in the town like penny's father is uh slowly like is is very sick and seems to slowly be dying uh and she rents a film called the lonely planet um about a man traveling 200 years which sort of due to relativity is about 50 years to him to be the first contact between humans and aliens and that's that's kind of it for the for the book how do people feel about this one um confused lost and alone and um yes i i think right so the the blurb for dead box kind of says you know um welcome to lost turkey where the main source of entertainment is a cursed dvd machine that seems to know more about the fate of its citizens than they do and in my mind i'd kind of pictured this as like a horror anthology type book mm. like um ice cream man-esque yeah um and this seems very unhorror. i don't know if that's See, like i get that like the way that i read this um is it like we find out that um that penny was supposed to go to like was supposed to be going back to university before her dad got sick and her dad we also know rented the, a dvd called the vanishing man yeah which like and she re- uh, she rented this the lonely planet and like the vanishing man looks to you know obviously reflect on her father and his situation with regards to like fading away um and yeah like, f- fading away into sickness and kind of into the background like you know no one else in the issue sees him or talks to him other than penny and he's becoming hollow and for penny the 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 lonely planet i feel like kind of like the the journey that the 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 volunteer sort of astronaut is on represents her possibly being stuck in the town like until she can't leave anymore until she's not the person she needs to be to strike out in the world yeah and i i I think as we discussed pre-recording that there's different ways to read it because i kind of read it more as well that but in the sense that like it was the the story of missed opportunity because in in the lonely planet we see that 
um, the volunteer who gets you know shot through space to meet the Greylicks on their planet is kind of ready to meet them and they're ready to meet him for the longest of time yet when he gets there it's kind of too late and i guess yeah that that was the reading i was put into kind of penny missing the year at college see i had a i had a different (laughs) reading again now thinking about it this is the problem because there's that whole bit at the beginning of the book where it talks about how you basically can't own a thing like land or the more people try and own a thing the less they own it and um, particularly because of the setting in the south we assume i felt where is this going metaphor wise are we gonna because there's like there's a bit where we've got a tattered american flag and all that sort of iconography so it kind of threw me out because, like Zach, I was just expecting basically haunted DVD box yes. horror ensues. And then that opening talks about, you know, all this about, you know, owning land and coming together and just to give you background to the town. And it doesn't really seem to relate to haunted DVD box um, much at all. I was expecting a very different direction. Um, I thought, oh, this is setting something up like this town is so insulated and weird that it's a perfect setting for a DVD box to become haunted or possessed or some (laughs) such. As it turns out, that's not the case. Well, we we don't know like about what the actual situation is like like, in terms of the bigger sort of store, like the, the bigger kind of background set piece for the anthology like not the anthology like it's an anthology in terms of the stories i think that's going to be the situation like that's the feeling that i get is that we'll probably get quite a lot of little like uh, quite a lot of like single issue stories and then occasionally go and visit some of the characters again like Mm. is the kind of feel i get from this like i wasn't but i mean don't get wrong like by the end of it I I wasn't 100% sold on any particular interpretation. Like my main takeaway from this book was like really loving actually genuinely really loving the lonely planet as like a kind of take on like golden age science fiction. Like like a cross between like one of your more humorous Asimov stories mixed with like a Bradbury in like the Martian Chronicles like those like particularly like the Martian Chronicles stuff like because it's you know it's a twist story with a with a joke kind of Mm. in it like at the at the expense of the core of the core conceit that by traveling through space for 50 years with like purpose and with like that that kind of the, the the very task makes you unqualified to perform it mm. um it's a good story i really really like that but yeah that i found that kind of tickling my like sh- science fiction short story like itch tickling my itch what am i saying um <laughs> Scratching, like scratching, scratching your itch. Yeah, scratching that sort of that sort of science fiction short story itch. Maybe 
more than the rest. Like, don't get me wrong, I love a good small town, like evangelical, like story, and that part I am interested in. But like, that's going to be, I think, a longer burn. Whereas, as a single issue, if it has, if if the stories it tells in its films each issue are going to sort of are going to be as good as that i'm actually willing to kind of forgive a little bit more i think than either of you yeah I mean, it, oh, sorry that, that that middle bit where we have got you know the lonely play that's actually the best bit because you can just read that and you get something out of it it's the framing around it i find awkward yeah I just I think that it's just the it's the problem of attempting to 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 tell a high like a high concept single like single issue science fiction story whilst also telling this the framing narrative that I think is going to kind of be built around it over time and I do think uh, like, I know we say this fairly often, but I think this will be a very good trade read, actually, like more than it's it's a weird one, because I want to say I, I could also very much say, oh, it'll be a great single issue read if the films are as if the if the film concepts are as well executed as this one is, because I'd be like, I want to see what sort of weird, weird story and genre and tone like we get this month. Mm. but i think that just because of the framing narrative it'll be a good trade read yeah i i think it will probably read well as a trade and i think we will follow different people like the um the the man with the gun Um, man with the gun he had a name but book he's called book i i feel we, we see book in the kind of you know fake robbery you know, robbery prank thing, and then we see him at the start. So I feel like we're going to shift around. Probably see Book, the police officer, the dog. I'm <laughs> hoping the for the dog. I'm, I'm there for the dog. Yeah. So I think it it can go in some interesting directions. It's not entirely what I expected, but I I didn't really dislike it. I just I think I had pretty much signed up for some kind of like. That, that's a good example. So, Vault a couple of years ago released two volumes from um, Elliot Rahal's uh, cult classic series, which was kind of quite campy, um, ridiculous B movie horror. And I, I think I'd signed up for that. I think that's dead box based on the description i expected like yeah ridiculous overblown b-movie style horror almost like i guess like goosebumps-esque you know where everything's just <laughs> real real dumb and i think and it I ended has up, great covers yeah the covers are where it's at but that's not really the direction this has gone in which i guess has just surprised me because i expected more horror or more Maybe more cartoonish horror, but more horror nonetheless. Um, I do think this is, the, like I, like you've said, I think The Lonely Planet as a narrative is quite good and does remind, is very reminiscent of like, yeah, Asimov or 
Philip K. Dick or other, other such sci-fi writers yeah. are available. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't dislike this. I just think it was very different than what I'd kind of anticipated. Yeah, that that would be the same for me. I was expecting a horror book and it's kind of, I suppose there are horrific elements to it. Like it's not, it's subtle horror, shall we say, in a way, mm. particularly at the end where you see her dad and it's like, <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, that's, that's the actual descriptive term. Um but, yeah, at the same time, it's not what I expected. And I think that threw me. And then it wasn't even what I expected based on the first few pages. I'd sort of then thought, oh, maybe it's going this direction. Then it didn't go that direction. So I just ended up a bit confused by it. It probably will read better in trade. It will probably be more interesting in trade when you can maybe see some of the other characters and actually see what this, you know, what other DVDs are lurking. But... Mm. Uh, as it stands as a first issue, it just doesn't quite click for me. I agree. There we go. Have we anything further to add? Possibly not. I don't think so. I think that's uh, us for the dead box. Right. Which means that coming up in the number two position of discussion is the second <laughs> book we are discussing some might say we're all a little bit fried aren't we we are we really are right so the second book we're discussing is second chances number one from image uh, the writer is ricky mamone the artist is max bertolini and the letterer special shout out to dc hopkins um so second chances is about second chances there is a chap is it winslow gray is that his name well blank i think i think Look, he's he's, he's the guy who's winslow <laughs> i get confused winslow is the lawyer that oh, emma works oh, for there he is he's a creepy dude right okay so let's let's just all leave this in because ramblings are content so there is a guy called Leblanc, Leblanc, depends whether you want to pronounce it the French way or not, um, who runs a business and his business is a little bit shady. He gives people second chances by basically faking their deaths, telling them they can never see their loved ones again and setting them up in a cabin in the woods, essentially. <laughs> Hooray. Um, he, back in the day, he had some dealings with a chap called Paul. Paul rings him, a little bit fraught. There's dead bodies everywhere. Anyone would. Paul has, like, the picture-perfect family. He has a wife called Mary, has a daughter called Emma. Emma works for the creepy guy, Winslow Gray. She's like, I want to quit, but, you know, it's basically my dad's company and my dad's job, and, I, you know, I want to strike out on my own. Emma's quite nice. Emma then gets accosted by Miss Nobody, um, who injects her with drugs, and then murder happens, and then... Miss Nobody rings LeBlanc. Meanwhile, Paul's getting killed by some assassins because dead bodies and reasons. Assassins with weird masks. And then LeBlanc um, stumbles across all of these things that have happened. And, yeah, it's it's a 
Hmm. It's a book that exists. It's not a book that I loved. I'll be honest. It's in black and white. And, you know, I miss colorists. I'm never, I'm always going to have problems generally with black and white comics. There are one or two exceptions over the years I've read that I've enjoyed. But it feels like it's deliberately playing on the black and white to do a noir thing, which I don't necessarily think you need to do. But at the same time, I don't sort of know what genre it's really pitching itself at. There's the mystery of Miss Nobody. There's the mystery of the dead bodies and who's assassinating Paul and why has LeBlanc got messed up all of this? And is Winslow Gray actually a creep or not? Who's to say? Um, What's happening to Emma? If you actually read the blurb, it gives you a very, again, with the blurbs, it gives you a very different idea of what this book is about than what actually happens in it. Because I think the blurb just sort of says that he's a guy who gives people second chances and now he has to relocate someone with amnesia. And that sort of happens towards the end of the book with Emma, kind of, maybe, possibly. But, yeah, it's it doesn't really flip the blurb. It didn't fit with anything I was expecting because it takes quite a while for you to realise what LeBlanc's job is, actually relocating people and doing the whole second chances thing when he just lays it out in exposition. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one again. It's not what I expected again. It's throwing me off and confusing me again. Thoughts, somebody, anybody? Um... (laughs) <laughs> so I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. It's yeah. so essentially it's pitched to us, I think, in the blurb, or at least in this as with the right amount of cash, a proper referral and a good reason to start over, I can give you a new life. Yeah. Except none of that really happens in this. <laughs> none of that. No. Um, I. No, we don't really see any of that, do we? <laughs> no. Uh, he explains that to us. And kind of talks about how he's already bailed Paul out once. But yeah. he he also talks about how he doesn't do third chances. So if he's already bailed Paul out once. And then he talk, there's a lot that's kind of set up to build intrigue about LeBlanc's past. So we're told that he does all of this because of the worst mistake he ever made. We're told that. Paul saved his life once, so he owes him a favour. And then Miss Nobody's clearly part of that past. Yep. Yeah. But I don't know. It's basically expecting you to accept that the hook for this is that LeBlanc does have a past. Like pretty much every other comic book character you may come across. Except Wolverine. Yeah, he doesn't. Uh, (laughs) Right. True. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of all bloodshot. I, I said it that well, I said bloodshot, and you go true, true, yeah, yeah, true, <laughs> true, yeah, true, true. Um, so I don't really know. I, I again, I don't dislike this. I, Same. I, I kind of like the art and the kind of um, the the cover whilst having no connection to everything i think is pretty cool with the kind of smoky vibes mm-hmm. to it and the like reflections and stuff um some great layering on photoshop i'll give them that i just don't know what yeah, to i think i wish yeah. i had stronger feelings about this book it it like, doesn't have 
it yeah it just doesn't have a big enough hook in a way yeah like i said the the hook is basically that you're just meant to need to know more about leblanc and if you don't it's not very hooky i i don't know how to feel about any of the characters particularly so like paul paul's brief mary we never see emma drugs drugs and then murders winslow gray is included but i don't really feel like he's included for you to care yeah I feel like Emma's little story arc of her working as Winslow Gray's um, secretary and then deciding to, you know, like, she deciding she's going to quit, but first she wants to hack his computer again because he's into yeah. tickle fetish porn and she finds that entertaining. It's like, that's got, there's more structure to, to that, like, yeah. three or four pages than the perhaps is to the rest of this. Um, though I, I I want to say so like, I I was reminded actually during her talking about like the tickle the tickle fetish porn uh, I was reminded of a documentary I watched years ago um, called Tickled um, which was about like a guy oh I remember uh, this yeah um, interesting doc it like yeah about about a guy uh, like producing tickle torture porn and the the weirdness that was this man and like the shadiness of the whole situation and i was like i should watch tickled again at some point maybe that should have been really the storyline and plot oh what is just it's just just... that it's a it's a it's it's the comic book adaptation of the documentary (laughs) tickle no i think Emma finds out that Winslow Gray has tickle porn on his computer. Oh. What does she do with this knowledge? Where does oh. she take it? Who does I she thought, blackmail? I, I thought that you were going to say that um oh what's his name? Why can I why have I lost his name? Um LeBlanc was actually the tickle man and was showing up to tickle people. Any of these options. Because he doesn't carry a gun. Interesting. No, he, he doesn't, doesn't carry a gun because you don't need a gun to tickle people. <laughs> Hard, oh. hard sentence to unpack. I think the fact we've gone so far off the beaten track proves like, there are, like, how the unmemorable art, most of at, at part at, at points the art's actually very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Fair lettering. Someone else said that. Yeah, the lettering's yeah. really nice. Can't think he said I, that. I'm the lettering agreeing. is top DC Hopkins is an underrated like, letterer. Yes. Like I just wanted to reiterate it and agree. Like I'll allow it. Um, but yeah, I I just I I wish I had stronger feelings on it. Yeah, I kind of get that. It's this is a comic that I I read the week it came out, and I started to write a review about, and couldn't figure out what to say. It's again, I don't think it's bad, and I think it will no. probably read quite nicely yeah. in trade. I think it'll probably develop in an interesting way but as a first issue it kind of leaves me wondering what what's going to bring me back for more yes yeah is it just the fact that i you know i respect a man who only fastens one button on his shirt and (laughs) miss nobody's got a pretty cool design is that yeah it does 
she does. But is that enough of a hook for me to come back for more? It's definitely, I think it probably, it may make some more sense in trade because you'll get more of an arc for LeBlanc because at the moment he has a full stop rather than that. Yes. Right. I think, unless anyone has any strong feelings further about second chances, which I don't think we do, shall we move on to something where we have some strong feelings, Matt? Yes, I, and I've been thinking about it again, and my things like are still pretty much the same, but I, like as they were in the pre-chat, but I, I have refined them <laughs> a little. So, uh, not all robots won is by uh, Mark Russell, with art by Mike Didato Jr. Uh, the colours are by Lee Lockridge, and the letters are by Steve Wands. Um, Not All Robots uh, follows a robot with a very cool name, uh, Razorball, as he serves uh, his family, the Walters. Humankind has basically done what we're doing and uh, ensured ecological uh, catastrophe and has uh, like and, and now lives in like bubble cities like the remi- the remainder of humanity lives in bubble cities and the and like the robots that we've created like who are like sapient have basically decided that for our own good um, we cannot administer our own affairs anymore. Every family is assigned a robot, and that robot is responsible for them. And so the question it asks is, like, at the start is, like, is human obsolescence a good thing? And that is kind of, that's discussed throughout as a, as a theme. And there's also the fact that a large portion of this book is about basically um, incel, like incel terrorists, like mass murderers, like, um, but yeah, basically it's it's about robots who are sensibly go haywire or in some cases choose to disable their emotion, like their emotions, like their inhibitors or sorry, their their emotional restrictions, and therefore feel no attachment to people anymore. And yeah, often that results in them killing killing them. I really liked this book, but I can admit that I think that it is like, it's something of a flawed analogy. Like in in that the robots, for a good portion like the robots really actually feel feel like the victims of a good portion of this as as well as like there are other problems that i think are are there but like the fact is like the the robots do feel like the victims they are like the people who it's attempting to analogize um to analogize and i'm this god having to actually say this isn't an apology this isn't apologia for anything that those sorts of people have done but they are alienated um mm. from uh th- these ropes are alienated by their labor and they're basically building their own replacements as well 
like there's a better form of robot that's coming and these robots who are supposedly sort of in control of their lives know that replacement kind of looms for them that they're building the things that are going to take their places and are going to be better at it than them and they're just like the the dialogue of some of the robots um particularly like Razorball's uh friend Kilroy are good at reminding you that in the end the the actions that these people uh have taken in the real world are by their own choice like that these robots need to make the active choice of removing their emotions and of separating themselves from their you know from human connection um and from feeling like feeling any sort of empathy for people around them that that is that that is a choice that they that they make but it still doesn't 100% work i think that the actual like the dialogue um is very good i actually i do think like and the fact that like i i really like the way that the walters who are like the 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 walters like Razorball's family are written as like the uneasiness and fear that they have of Razorball as they recognize the alienation that he feels like that they they know there's something wrong but there are multiple different approaches that, that they individually sort of take to that and what that means and Angela I'm gonna let you get in because I'm worried now that I'm just talking far too much right so I feel like I'm going to woman-splain this, but no, whatever. Please. So, basically, not all robots. We're all familiar with the hashtag, not all men, which is a problem in and of itself. Um, because if you feel the urge to use that hashtag, it yes. wasn't meant to be aimed at you in the first place. Sit yourself down. So, not all robots. The analogy is that the robots are the guys in this scenario. They are the ones who hold all the privilege and the power except that it's a completely flawed analogy because yes. you've got robots fine but let's forget let's remember the robots came into being to do all the human stuff because the humans screwed up the world is the essential bit that we we're introduced at the start you didn't know how to look after yourselves we put you all in these you know you started living in bubbles and robots do all the work and that really doesn't work as a gender analogy whatsoever, because no. that's suggesting that, hey, yeah, it's all your fault, women, why men hate you. Um, which, you know, I like to think that isn't the case. <laughs> but you've also got, like, what do the humans do all day? There's this sort of idea that what do the humans do all day? And the thing is, is one of the vast big problems with society is the unacknowledged hidden labour that women yes. do day in and day out in terms of childcare and elderly relatives and also women take crappy jobs like cleaners and you know that sort of thing and a lot of retail jobs and in a pandemic women tend to get hit quite hard in the jobs market because they often work in hospitality and areas where they you know have problems with their jobs and yet they none of them have the urge to go and shoot people up or murder people or any of that sort of thing so i think that that's my problem with this 
is not all robots you are meant to sympathize with the robot but in doing so it's alienating you from the human bit so it's like are you actually associating with the people who have the privilege which is not really what this book is meant to give you and also it's like you have the classic talk show with the robots and the robots basically robots explain to the woman who's there um, who's trying to get a point across her point of view, which just feels really heavy handed. And then also in the family, the male, the dad is the one who is, you know, the one asking Grazable, hey, honey, how was your day? Which is fine because I like that it does flip that expectation. But at the same time, the paranoid weirdo one who's going and's like, I want to shut Razorball down and we're quite attached to him as a character mm. is the woman. The villain of the piece is then female coded. So, it, again, it just doesn't work. And it's it's almost like the Walters have this weird gender dynamic in and of themselves, which, again, doesn't work with the whole analogy you're trying to play out. It doesn't quite... It feels like it's written, and I get that it's written because it's written by a bloke. <laughs> it's written from a male perspective. And I, I think a lot of men do understand the problem with not all men and all the rest of it. I think any normal you know a lot of men i know completely do but at the same time it feels like they're writing from a place of privilege and they're trying to write to uplift the underprivileged without quite getting where that lies in the real world and how to translate it correctly into this book i'm gonna shut up now no very much appreciate like there you go your your commentary on that like the for me, when I was reading the 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 Walters, like my reading on the on the dad was about maybe the was about like the the idea of men excusing of of, of like him excusing the behaviour um, of another person who's supposedly sort of male like who's male coded like in the robot in in like Razor Ball. And kind of the willingness of of some of some people to to do that. I I get that, and I think that's a valid reading. My issue with that, in a certain mm. way, is that that's how domestic abuse relationships work. Mm. Is that oh, it's you know, it's my fault. It's not his fault. Yeah. You know, we I need to be the one reaching out and doing the thing because Razorball doesn't. He complains about they ask how my day was. He never answers them. He just goes in the garage and who knows yeah. what he does? Plays with his garage part. <laughs> I don't know. His spanners. His spanners. But that's kind of the thing. It's it's like that is that read to me coming at it from a completely different way. To me, that read like the dad is basically the abused wife because he's excusing Razorball's bad behaviour to the rest of the family who have valid concerns, and he's just like, no. And to me, that's how it read, but there we yeah. are. No, Zach, save us from these never-ending analogies. Oh, yeah, we'll, like, we both agree, though, that the analogy is flawed. Yeah. I think that I might just be a little more forgiving because I really like the dialogue <laughs> also before we actually something i'm sure we'll actually both like um robot designs good there we go really cool yeah nice blocky weird robots 
with glowy eyes. I... <laughs> I... I think you both raised some very valid points. <laughs> Not all robots is a land of contrasts. <laughs> um, there's definitely some... I can't get these words in the right fucking order. Right, so when I was reading this, it, it was clear that there were a bunch of different analogies going on at the same time. One being the not all men, one being the kind of... Alienation of labour. and. Thank you, I couldn't get that. Yeah, alienation of labour and like a classist kind of thing. Um, But I feel like all of... I feel like it's trying to kind of encapsulate various social issues in like one fell swoop rather than rather than accepting that these things are kind of completely unrelated in a lot of ways. I, I think I don't know if completely unrelated. I, I, I think it depends on how you approach it. In some ways they're unrelated, in other ways they are related, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I feel like this tries to sweep everything into one yeah. large analogy, which ultimately then gets lost because trying to replace different groups and different ideas with robots can then be d- difficult. Making it humans versus robots, or n- not even versus, making it humans and robots kind of simplifies the issue but in a way that also kind of makes it more complicated to then make an analogy yes i will say that matt is correct and i think the dialogue is pretty strong um i don't want to just sum this up in one throwaway line but see you later terminator in a while rotary dial yeah, five star there's some yeah. good robot slang there is um the fact that every time when they're talking to each other rather than it being like hey what up man it's like what up metal that's good stuff that's but i think part of the problem is that the kind of dialogue is like more light-hearted than the themes they're trying to unpack yeah it doesn't quite jive with themes yeah no it, it it feels like they're at odds with each other and mark russell whilst a very good writer you know that I'm sure many of us have read, you know, uh, Snagglepuss, The Flintstones. Um, yeah. Second Coming. Second Coming, Prayers. thank you. Couldn't, couldn't get Second Coming out. Yeah. I, all I could think about was Jesus and Superman. That can't be what it's called. <laughs> um, Prez as well. And yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a really good writer. And I, I think he might have just overfaced himself with the concepts he was trying to pull off here, which ultimately leaves it kind of uncertain i don't think it's a bad issue and i think it might kind of balance out as it goes on as a story yeah Yeah. um as a trade this might all all these issues might smooth out and be better evaluated it it is a lot to put together it yeah it's very tightly packed what it's trying to get in but like in a weird way though like not just like that didn't feel like the issue though we didn't feel like an issue with something like flintstones though where that's true god actually being able to talk about this comic and then say 
But when the Flintstones attempted to deal with um, <laughs> serious topics, but it's it's true. The Flintstones is one of my favorite comics of the last few years. It's very good. Really um, good run, yeah. Uh, like it didn't have that same problem, even though it was doing like often single issue issues. Like it would have more ongoing stuff in the background but it would deal it would take a subject like things like church state separation and stuff like that and like the the like role of marriage and like gay marriage mm. uh, and stuff and and manage to discuss it pretty well over the course of just an issue and obviously that's not what their attempt that's not what russell's attempting to do here but yeah with the <sighs> It's just yeah. With the like, I'm hoping that he figures out how to kind of iron the problem, like some of the problems with the analogy out, because you're not going to get all of it out. But I'd like to see where it goes with it and how it tries to expand on it, because like there's a there's there's sometimes a problem with like analogies and the the thing that I always am reminded of. I don't remember who said it um, or who said it to me as it was many, many years ago um, was that like the X-Men were a great um, civil rights like analogy until you remember that black people couldn't shoot lasers from their eyes. Like that it's the, the, the problem is can, can, can is like, you know, it is in turning the the person the, the the group of people that you are like analogizing into some into something different into an analogy like and in like and particularly yeah like with superheroes you know like the you know mutants are, are you know like dangerous because they could accidentally you know like blow up your city and it's like yeah but you know the nice person who runs the shop down the round the corner whose windows got smashed in last week can't do that but yeah like i'm hoping that it like i said no analogy is perfect and this one definitely isn't but i i hope to see it kind of flesh it out a bit more yeah no i think that's fair and i think like i say i think it's likely that it will get fleshed out more it's just we're not seeing that so much yeah Yeah. um I do think Stephen Wan's lettering was pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I think he does he does good robot lettering. Uh, yes. I like the squared off like yeah. dialogue, dialogue squared off um, speech bubbles. And um, I have really mixed feelings about Mike uh, Diodato Jr.'s artwork because I've read a lot of his stuff. I've read. So this, Thanos, um, Infinity Wars, I think I've read everything he did at Marvel. And um, and then the Jeff Lemire book he did a couple of years ago, Berserker Unbound. And I do think the, the lines everywhere thing, mm. I, I feel like you could probably cut up a bunch of different single issues from him and put them together and assemble your own just like makeshift Mike Diodato crossover comic because <laughs> yeah it, I don't know it, it's a weird stylistic choice and I get that he always does it but there comes a point where it's like I'd really 
I'd be really interested to see what happens when he doesn't do that. Yeah. And nothing against. I, I like his art. I think it can get a little bit weird at times, but I, I think he's got some cool artwork in him, and I think his robot designs in this are quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Actually, um, one thing. Oh, sorry, go on. The colouring's good as well. I'm just going to say, Leela Fridge's yes. colouring is nice. I love the shades that are used for the robots because it's like so many different like um, colours, but all within sort of themed groupings. Like they're all sort of very close together um, for yeah. each robot. Like each robot has a colour scheme. Like you'd have if you pick, you know, like, like they're a model off of a line. Um, mm. And also, like the way that the that their eye lights like light up the area around them feels it's weird and cool and just looks strange. What I was actually going to say, just to complement the lettering again, was like you know, you're saying about the robot lettering. Something I appreciate that very like that didn't have to kind of be this sort of thought of is that there's actually also like not only is there a difference in the word balloons and lettering between humans and robots, but also between humans, robots, and like the, and like uh, television and radio. They don't use the same stuff, even for the two different types of electronic, like synthesized voices. And I appreciate that, that like it goes, okay, so like, the synthesized sort of voice you're getting out of a robot doesn't sound like the sort of synthesized voice you're getting out of a television. That's it's it's cool that they that they bothered with that. Yeah, that is a yeah. good detail. I'll give you that. Yeah. Good job, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So, uh, shall we uh, quickly move on? <laughs> we we can attempt to. So. Finally, yes. from Dark Horse Comics, the unbelievable Unteens, written or scripted as it's credited by Jeff Lemire, arted, lettered and coloured by Tyler Crook, who also did one of the covers, the second cover by John McCreek, Black Hammer, of course, created by Jeff Lemire and Dean Olmston. Um, as that may suggest... The Unbelievable Unteens is from the world of Black Hammer and basically follows uh, Jane Ito, who is a comic book writer and artist. Um, yeah. She She's just left a convention in 1997, only to find herself confronted by one of her creations, who unveils to her that Jane isn't just a comic book creator and artist, but is in fact... The former superhero Strobe, who used to be part of the Unbelievable Unseens, the comic she created, um, alongside her new ghosty friend, Jack Sabbath, solid name, who is very much a kind of dead man analogy. Um, Analogy? No. No. Dead man homage. Yes. Yes. we're told that they used to be a team with Stracker, Kid Boom and Snapdragon. However, after their last adventure, something happened. Basically, they all had their memories wiped and Strobe, Jane, is the only one who remembered. 
and although she didn't consciously remember she like subconsciously knew and started writing it into this this comic book and um hilarity ensues um, <laughs> yes it's so there's a few things folded into this like, as i've said there is um dead man gets a, a quite clear call call yep. up in the referencing um but i think we also get some x-men in there some like almost yes. doom patrol who I, yeah. I, I get i get that doom patrol are very much like dc's x-men sometimes but there's definitely some doom patrol vibes in there with the weirdness of it all um the first thing that hit me with this and this is something that is probably an angela question more than a matt question is did you read Marvel Knights 20 or Marvel Knights 25 it might have been I believe I did so Marvel Knights (laughs) Marvel Knights 20 was set like 20 years after Marvel Knights yes and the Marvel Knights versions of the heroes had all forgotten who they were and what they'd done so that that immediately is something that I like flashed onto of like yeah it's similarness yes now you said because at the time i was like i'm sure i've seen this somewhere before this basic (laughs) concept and there we are that's where i saw it thanks Zach. you're welcome that's what i'm here for um i did quite like this issue and i'm pretty on board for seeing where this one goes um I, I'm pretty optimistic with this being a 12 issue series because I think one of the things that's bothered me with um, Black Hammer after the kind of main farm story arc ended is that it has seemed a little bit all over the place at times. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I also quite like uh, Tyler Cook's uh, Tyler Cook. Sorry, quite like Tyler Crook's artwork. It's kind of like not very superhero-y for the most part it strikes me more as yeah kind of dark and extremely indie um yeah which i think really suits this it makes it feel a lot more grounded and kind of unmagnificent and then when you he does the kind of brightly colored panels that are like comic like uh, taken from the comic book showcasing the unteen's previous adventures there's yes. a really nice contrast Those between like yeah. yeah and it, it, it works really well to show like the difference between the life that Jane and Jack are living now versus the life they had as superheroes. And I appreciate that that might be a kind of blown up thing of like this is what it was like in a comic book or but I, I think we saw a kind of very golden age, silver age kind of thing with the original black hammer story so i feel like it's probably also in keeping with that part of the world yeah i'm gonna let someone else yeah. speak now but <laughs> so like i i quite enjoyed this it had a it had a very like couple of issues arc of sandman feel to it i can uh, see that like it yeah, it feels like it could have fit into fit into Sandman, particularly like when Sandman would do the the little sort of crossovers with like Silver Age DC stuff. Um, even though obviously this is more like 
more into sort of the the Bronze Age than anything else. But like I, yeah, I I I I, I quite enjoy this. And like you say, those those bits where you see the comics are gorgeous, and like when contrasted with the because all of I mean all of the art in this book is pretty great. There's and, and there's some really great shading like the the kind of mixture like jack um jack sabbath has mm-hmm. this great look where which is half sort of half like embalmed like mummified corpse and half like like half like he's been inc- like horribly burnt and so there's lots of room for like folds and shadow and shading on his face and like he's got these sunken pits um for eyes with just green uh, bits and like yeah it, like jane's jane is uh, a really cool design and then you know you get your sort of last um last page reveal where she lights up and says a line i really was a teenage superhero yeah um yeah. like yeah it's I mean, it's obviously like a very sort of meta book, but I I liked it, and I'm interested to see kind of what it does with like because it's its final event of the story before this was basically the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with like a worse ending for everyone, and yeah, like and they like now we're left with these people who've you know are 12 years on and don't know if they can set things right but want but like seemingly want to try and i'm excited to kind of see see what it does with that and like what happened to to make things the way they are Mm -hmm. um it's yeah uh angela i i really liked it what I like also is that I don't think you need to necessarily be familiar with the wider world of Black Hammer to read it. No, that's very true. That's true. I think it's you could someone who had never heard of Black Hammer before could conceivably pick this up and have a good time and follow it and not be confused. They'd probably go, this seems a very familiar story. I wonder where I've read this before. Yeah. All you need um, to know is the idea of yeah. a superhero team. Yeah. You, th- that's it. it. It's quite newbie friendly in general, and it. I think it would read quite well for somebody who wasn't hugely familiar with comics, but had yeah. sort of some passing knowledge, which I like. I like how accessible it is for other mm. people. I also like. I think the line where she's like, "I'm saying I'm no longer a teenager" or something along those lines. Yeah. Like, but you know, I'm like in my twenties now. What are you saying? Um. So, yeah, it, it was nice because it was basically sort of for a lot of it, it was a two-handed character piece where it was just Jack and Jane having this discussion and him desperately trying to persuade her that, yeah, we were superheroes and bad things did happen and I need your help to undo things and this is why you've been writing this comic, this is why you've been so inspired, this is why you spend all your time writing this comic because this was your life. And it's just a really nice character study that way in sort of a little two-hander. Um, mm. And the art is all pretty in an mm. indie kind of a way. It's quite, it, it's, it does feel sort of 
dark and dirty down with the indie rather than sort of clean, nice lines. But I feel like that represents the grunge scene of the 90s. So that's all good. Yeah, the fashion. You know, it it was like, oh, this is my youth. Um, The fashion is great. Yeah, it it all fits really well. So, yeah, I liked it. I'm kind of predisposed because Black Hammer and Jeff Lemire. So it would have had to have been awful for me to say something bad about (laughs) it. Um, But luckily, um, it wasn't. It was was quite good. I had a good time. And I want to, I do want to see more um, Mm -hmm. and see sort of, because I'm assuming that the others will show up at some point, possibly, maybe. Who's to say? Um, but, yeah, it may happen. I want to get the band back together. But yeah, I just feel like it's got a lot of good potential. And yeah, I don't think you necessarily have to be familiar with Black Hammer in order to read it. Yes, I agree. Yay. Um, so do we think that's all of our words? Yes. I think those one. are all the words we'll ever say. <laughs> That's it now. No more words. There's a vow of silence happening directly after the end of this discussion. Yeah, it's been good to uh, to talk to you all for the last time. As in, we'll still do the podcast. It'll just be uh, like an hour and a half of dead air. Uh, but you'll know that we're sitting there. Um, so shall we go to uh, to rankings? Yes. Yes. Uh, Zachary. Ah, shit. <clears throat> I mean, yay! Woo! Rank, rank, rank. <laughs> don't know what that was. That our like, battle cry? Rank, rank, rank? Yeah. I don't know. Um, it should be. So, I'm going to go reverse order. Hit, hit you with the... Traditionally, yeah. Order's reverse. <laughs> What's so funny? Angela's traditionally, as in, yeah, that's how we always do it, Zach. Uh, I think you'll find that there's definitely one example of you and Will going rogue on this section. There is, now I think, yeah. Oh, no. Um. So, second chances. Yeah. They don't ever matter, people never change. Um. I'm fairly sure it's from a Paramore song. Um, I think it's misery business. Yeah, well, you can all you can Google that in your own time. Um, whilst I think it's going to make a, probably a decent trade, and the mystery will probably be a lot stronger if you've not just got twenty-two pages or whatever it was, twenty-two, twenty-four. I don't know. Um, this first issue isn't posing as like that bigger hook for me. I kind of just feel. Eh? I don't know. I I'll read more of it should it come my way, but if it doesn't, I don't know if I'm going to seek it out. Um, fortuitously, Image are probably going to send us the next issue, so congrats. Quite likes the art, and as Angela's eager to say, the lettering is pretty pretty good. Uh, shout out to DC Hopkins and Max Bertolini there. Um, but yeah. I, Actually, narratively, it's it's a little bit hard to judge what this is right now. So, yeah. Um, next, I'm going to go Not All Robots. I enjoyed the dialogue, but the more we've talked about it, or the more you two have talked about it, and I've sat quietly, 
contemplating the end of the world. I, I think I've kind of... The, I think it does really struggle with the metaphor and the analogy it's trying to tell. And whilst I enjoy, you know, see you later, Terminator, it's it, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around. And again, I hope it reads better in trade and is, is a smoother, more cohesive, well-oiled kind of narrative. A little, little robot joke there for you. Nice. <laughs> Barely. Um, so yeah, um, I I wish you all the best for Razor Ball, and um, I, but I I feel like there's a real risk that the next issue is going to go in a real weird direction with a robot revolution and them killing more humans, and I, I, that's a little fear in the back of my mind. So I don't know, I just don't know where it's going to go, and that scares me. And the analogies and the the message it's trying to unpack i it scares me that the uncertainty of it all is kind of scary um and i think it might end up walking a dangerous line with what it actually says yeah um then i'm gonna go dead box um i it it isn't exactly what i expected it to be but i liked the sci-fi story in it enough to be curious as to where it's gonna go um, and I do think it was well written and well drawn and well everything. I think letters, colouring, the work were all really good. And I'm kind of curious where, you know, everything's going to go, how the, the dead box is in Penny's place. So I guess we're going to see more of Penny and her father. And I don't know. I'm curious how everything's going to fit together. Um, I'm curious if things are going to be in like a linear sense and we're going to carry on or if things will have come before. Classic anthology host questions, I guess, which is, you know, I've been reading Silver Coin and whilst I don't think Dead Box is as strong a start as the Silver Coin was, I'm, I'm open to seeing where it goes. And then in first and final place, I guess mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yep. I'm going to go with the unbelievable unteens. It's it's Jeff Lemire and it's well written. And I think Tyler Crook's artwork, colouring letters are all really nice. And it's got a character in it called Jack Sabbath. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm curious as to where this is going to go. Um. I am cautious of the fact that there's been a lot of Black Hammer at this point. And yeah. I think some of it hasn't been as strong as others, but I'm willing to give this the benefit of the doubt. And I, I think Jane and Jack both seem pretty cool as characters. So, yeah, I, I want to see me some unbelievable unteens. So, uh, Angela, heads up. Uh, well, <laughs> the problem with, with saying me is because my order may be similar to yours, but we'll see. So, in fourth place... Um, not getting any sort of medal. Um, second chances, because much as I like the lettering, um, the art's pretty good. It's just, isn't it? It, it exists. It's fine. It sure can, does. It exists. That's probably the highest praise I can give it. I don't really, I don't really care about LeBlanc. I'm, I kind of Emma's an interesting character. I want to know why, you know, I, I would have preferred it if it really the focus had been on Emma. 
um, and drugs and murder hadn't perhaps been involved. Um, I think it will read better in trade when there is more of an arc for the main character as opposed to the current bit, which is nobody knows. Um, Miss Nobody presumably knows, so that is true. Um, but yeah, I just don't, it just doesn't inspire me at the present time. I may read the second issue to see, but yeah, just for, just for the lettering. I'll read it for the lettering. There you are. Um, so then in number three, um, I'm going to go with Not All Robots because even though it has robots, which are my favourite thing, um, and it has good art and the designs of the robots are interesting, I listed in a very long rant all my problems with the analogies this is throwing out i admire the sentiment behind it but i think it's trying to do too much with too little if that makes sense like if you wanted to tell a straightforward some sort of analogy metaphor involving robots and humans there are better ways to do it than this i have concerns about the way that it is presented and i do wonder what the readership would think i think certainly as a female reader i don't get as much out of it as somebody else might but yeah i have my my suspicions that not all robots may not stick any kind of landing um i am like zach i think the problem's going to be that you know, we might get a lot of murder and death and, you know, I could see Razorball, I don't know, maybe accidentally murdering Cheryl. And I don't really want that. I want them to come to some sort of understanding. But I don't know if the story narratively is going to do that for me. So, sorry, not all robots. You have robots and you're not my favourite, which is unusual. Um, so then we have Dead Box, which I liked the science fiction story the framing is a bit confusing, but I will say that even though after those first few pages it wasn't what I was expecting, those first few pages drew me in probably more than Second Chances and Not All Robots did, um, just because it just seemed like someone knows what they're doing. I don't understand it, but they know what they're doing. Um, and I think there is the possibility of it being a bit more anthology-wise, sort of the next one i think is going to be about a romantic comedy which there's an interesting thought um but penny's a likable character so i'd be happy to see more of her mm -hmm. which means that number one is going to be the unbelievable and teens i mean i can say two words jeff lemire and that basically justifies my choice but it was i had the most fun with it i enjoyed it the most out of all of them that's the one that i was like yeah i could happily reread this right now and it wouldn't be too much of a trauma or a task so yeah i like the art i like the characters i think it's solid character work solid artwork and i do think that if you were someone new to comics and you have these four comics laid out in front of you that's the one i'd pick to give you because I think it is more accessible in a way than the others. It's just it's just nice, sort of. In a weird way, it's now even though it's dealing with quite dark themes in a way, it just reads like 
it puts you back in that mindset of, you know, the first time you read a superhero comic and adventure and all that um, in a weird way. But that's Jeff Lemire playing mind games with me as usual. So, yeah, there we are. My rankings. Feel free to disagree, Matt. Um, weirdly. No. I think I might agree, actually, with um, with the two of you. Like, this is dangerous. Like my my rankings have literally been leaping all like, all around um, for the last few hours, and particularly during this call, trying to figure out how I place them. And the more I've thought on it, the more it's kind of settled into the same order as you two. Like, Second Chances has, like, moved around the least um, and is my number four spot. Like I say, like, pretty much to echo the two of you, like, in trade, it will probably be a little better just because of the the, mis- the the mystery. Like, And then in third is Not All Robots. I do, like, like I say, it's got its it's got its problems. It's particularly with like its analogy, but I like, like I say, I like the dialogue and I like the art. A lot of effort has gone into this book, even if it is flawed. And I, I'm really hoping that this isn't going to be the first miss for Mark Russell, mm. like because the bits of this book that are good are very good, but. I worry, like you're saying, that like this this book could very easily miss its landing and say something that it's really not trying to say. And like the 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 flaws in the analogy kind of make that more likely. And I like I say, I have generally a lot of faith in Russell. Like every book he's written that i've read i've loved um mm. and i've found that it's like it's satire and it's commentary have been pretty razor sharp like this i'm hoping will manage to pull like to, to pull it off but it's fighting it's 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 going to have to fight some of its uh, some of its flaws um to do it um um, number two is uh, Dead Box. Um, I yeah, I liked Dead Box um, a fair bit. Like it's definitely like needs. We need to see a bit more of the connective tissue um, and like of the framing narrative to kind of make it work. But it it's got a lot of it's got a lot of promise. The the kind of every issue having some sort of weird weird film like fake film in it sounds cool and yeah like it's it's it it also looks really nice so yeah I'm I I'm really looking forward to to reading some more of uh, of Dead Box mm. um and it was at one point my my number one for this week. Um, which neither of you, like, I think I would have been crucified for no, if just I'd like, said that. Like, 
lightly tarred and feathered, Matt. Because, um, like, I thought you were going to say a light crucifixion. When I, <laughs> when I first actually read, like, the first time I read through Not All Robots, it was actually my number one for for a few minutes until I kind of I read it. I, I think I read it three times to prepare for this, just to make sure that I'd given it the given it the sort of look that it needed and to iron to try and start ironing out my thoughts which i knew i wasn't going to fully manage until i actually had a conversation um with other people who'd read it which is why like i was genuinely really excited and interested to talk about it with you angela because i knew that you would have had a lot would have a lot to say and would have thought about it at least as much as I had, and from a different perspective as well. But the one that, as uh, as of time of recording, is my number one, is the unbelievable Unteens. Yeah, it's just, like, I, I, I think Angela put it best, actually, saying that it's a really good, it would be a really good early comic for someone. Like someone who'd read like maybe one or two comics a while ago, like had an I like you know it's it's almost impossible these days to not know what a superhero comic or like or at least like to not know the, the concept of a superhero or to have absorbed some sort of superhero media and that's all you need for this for this book. It's got really like likable characters so far. And I, yeah, I, I just, I want to know what, what's happened, what's going on. And knowing that this has 12 issues is quite nice as well, particularly just because like Black Hammer is a book that we simultaneously like get too much of and not enough. Like when Black Hammer stuff is coming out, there's sometimes like two or three series running at a time, it feels like. And I'm just glad to have this, and I'm glad that it's a longer format than a lot of the other miniseries have been. Um, and I want to, you know, I kind of want to know what it's... like. Whilst I'm invested in its story as well, and like, like I say, like one of its strongest parts is that you don't need the rest of the Black Hammer mythos to, to make it work, but I'm really interested to see where it, where it fits in. Mm-hmm. Like, That's what well, I um, like there's stuff in here for someone who is coming in entirely sort of fresh and hopefully stuff here for people with an investment in the uh, the universe. Like it, it feels like it's going to be a good story by its own merits as well. So, yeah, four comics. So uh, with that, shall we uh, shall we call it? Yes. Yes. So thank you for joining us this week for our August Timber Roundup. Um, we'll be back again next week when next week's episode happens. <laughs> we'll be back next week for the next exciting installation of Bigger Than Care. The next exciting installation? Do you mean in school? <laughs> oh, everyone's too tired and the brain's gone. Shut up, Matt. You know what I mean. <laughs> Install him and um, So we've been Angela, Matt, and Zach collectively bigger than capes. 
and uh, we will continue to be. Um, as always, you know, see you later, Terminator. And, In a while, Rotary Dial. <laughs> and remember that comics are bigger, bigger than, than cakes. cakes.